Um, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, um, I pray, Lord, that you would enlighten your scripture, your word, to us tonight by your Holy Spirit. I pray that, uh, Lord, you would communicate with us clearly. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. So, um, we'll just read, uh, starting from uh, verse 11, it's always good just to flow in a little bit. Um, For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So, um, Paul's developing this argument that he started uh, at the beginning. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the thesis of Romans 1, um, which is verse, uh, of the whole book of Romans, which is 1 verse 17, which says... Um, so if you could just put that up there. Yep, verse 17. Uh, for in it, we're talking about the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we can just flick back now to chapter 2. Um, And immediately as I read that, I kind of see some conflicting information, especially in verse 13. So um, Paul's building this argument and he says, God shows no partiality. And so what he means um, is that God doesn't look at your face and go, that's a nice person, I'm going to treat you well and look at another one and go, hmm, I'm going to treat you differently because of the facade that you might put up. He actually looks directly into our hearts and he's completely impartial. And Paul's starting to build this argument um, because, because God appears in one sense to be partial. He, he appears, it appears, so he's given the law to the Jews, just a very small part of the world, and everyone else he hasn't. Is that, is that fair? And so he's developing this argument and he's saying that for all who have sinned without the law, so that's all of the Gentiles who have never heard the law, um, will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, so that's the, the Jews who actually have God's law, will be judged by the law. And of course we all know that they and we haven't lived up to God's law. So both camps are actually um, equally in deserving of God's wrath.
And so then he goes on to say, for it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now that's got to conflict with what we read about. Are we righteous by faith or are we righteous by what we do? There's a... You know what, let's just skip that. Let's just skip that for the moment. That's a hard, that's a hard one, isn't it? Let's skip to verse 14. It says, um, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So we all have these, these laws that we write as rules for life. Right? And I'm, I've got a, a close personal friend who's not a Christian, who is a very moral person, but I have to say they're his standard of morals. They're generally pretty good. In fact, they're generally excellent. He's a very generous person, but he judges by his standard of, standard of rules. However, it could be said that he can't keep his own standard. We can't. We we set ourselves. We set ourselves a standard, don't we? And we and we can't keep it. We always muck it up at some at some point. I think what Paul's saying here is that, um, and 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 we talked about this the other day in a similar sense. He says, "Men are without excuse because of creation, right? Because what we can see, men are without excuse to not believe and trust in God. We've got creation here that speaks to us and says." God's real. God's actually made the whole earth. We owe to God. And now he's saying that in some way he's actually written his goodness into our hearts. We all know what goodness is, even if we've been taught about it or not, and yet we reject it. Um, in verse 132 it said they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death and then one, uh, Romans 126 uh, it says women exchange the natural function for which that is against nature and then in uh, 121 they knew God but what did they do? They actually suppressed the truth about God we remember that from a few weeks ago and the point of it all is to stress that every human being is guilty before God because everybody suppresses the truth and, and no one lives up to even the demands of our own conscience, let alone the demands of God. Nevertheless, we're all accountable to God and on judgment day we are without excuse. Both the Jews and the Gentiles are accountable to God and guilty before him under the power of sin. That's the point that um, Paul is making. And uh, so back to verse 13, it says, for, not, for it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, I want to throw another couple of Bible verses in there. Uh, John 6, 28. Uh, and they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent, to have faith in Jesus. Romans 14, 23. 
um, says, and it talks about what is sin and what is not sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith in God is sin. So what we're going to see here is that we are saved by our faith and yet judged by our works. Does that make sense? I think of it like this. I say I have faith. And, and, and I stand before God on trial. And someone must say, what evidence do you have that Rob has faith? Oh, well, he just has. He just believes. Hmm. We know that faith in something leads to action. And so, as a development of my faith, there will be some evidence. There'll be something that pertains to a life of faith in Christ. Noah was talking about how having faith in God then leads him to encourage his mates in the Lord. So... um, What if the doer of the law was the one who believes in Jesus and acts upon it? Now, it doesn't say that, and we have this impression that the doer of the law did it perfectly. But the doer of the law actually did some righteous acts in faith. Does that make sense? Are there any questions about that? Is that really... We're starting to understand that... We're saved by faith, and yet there's something going to result from that faith. It's going to be some action. And that's going to be what, jo- what, what God actually judges us by. There's quite a number of scriptures that actually point to this. And so we know that we're saved by faith. We know that no matter what we've done, as Noah said that we're actually fully forgiven. But at some point, what you believe will become made evident. <clears throat> uh, so it says, well, on that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So according to my gospel, Paul's saying according to the gospel that's revealed to him through Jesus. Um, what's the gospel about? The gospel is about future judgment. Paul says that according to his gospel, not, not according to the law or not according to some theological rules, but according to the gospel, God will judge the very secrets of our heart through Jesus Christ, his son. The gospel is mainly about 
how we will be made right with God on, at the day of judgment. The gospel is not mainly about the good experiences that we have here on earth. But it's about our safety on the day of judgment and how we are shielded from the wrath of God. The gospel is glorious not to the extent that it solves our problems with depression or cancer uh, or whatever, but to the extent that the gospel removes the wrath of God against us on that last day and he brings us into everlasting joy. This last little bit um, I pinched from uh, a sermon on the internet today by John Piper and I just want to read it to you. I think it's really pertinent to this, this scripture verse. He says, now ponder this very seriously as you, as you leave today or tonight. Um, there is coming a final day of judgment. We'll all give account of ourselves to God. Faith in Christ as our righteousness will be our only hope for acceptance with God. Romans 1, 16 and 17 and 3, 20 and 26 tells us that. This is the essence and the heart of the gospel. Christ lived for us. He died for us. He rose for us. He reigns for us. He intercedes for us. Christ will come again for us. And Christ our advocate will be our final judge. Faith in him is the key to assurance and to eternal life. But beware, faith that produces no hope and faith that produces no love and faith that produces no obedience, which is what we're talking about tonight, is no saving faith. He says, embrace Christ today as the one who forgives our sins and the one who empowers our obedience. Um, tonight, as, as we come into a time of communion, um, I'd like to, uh, to ponder those things, actually. Um, to ponder how faith empowers our obedience because um, I think that's what the scripture uh, tonight is all about um, and remember that God's kindness to us that gift of salvation that he just freely gives us his kindness is what's meant to lead us to repentance it's not um someone laying down the law and giving you a whole list of rules of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. God's kindness is what gives, leads us to repentance. So tonight, um, as you come and take the, um, the bread and wine, um, remember that he died for us in kindness and in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your son Jesus. We thank you that we can receive you
tonight by faith. We can trust you for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we can confess our sins to you. In the quietness of our heart, we do. And to know that we are fully forgiven. That our slate is wiped 100% clean. And we thank you for dying on the cross for us. That your blood washes us clean. In Jesus' name, amen. So please come and um, in your own time. Thank you.